Thank you for joining us here at First Baptist Church of San Antonio, whether online or on broadcast, in your homes or wherever you may be. We want you to know that you are more than welcome to be a part of the life of this church. And we want you to know that we want you to meet Jesus today. In order for this to happen regularly, we need your support, we need your prayers, and we need your financial gifts. Please continue to give and be a part of what we do today. We've been shaped by stories our entire lives. When we were younger, they were read to us at bedtime. They come from our teachers in class and friends in the hallways. We see them in our favorite movies and TV shows. We relate to them, visualize them, and share them. Jesus understood this and chose to teach through stories. And the stories of Jesus give life. His stories are called parables. And now we learn from these parables of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. If you're ever wondering if I ever lose my train of thought and you're trying to figure out why, uh, well, probably no question, um, but what a joy and delight it is to be with your kiddos up front every week. It's one of my uh, treasured times uh, when I have the opportunity to do it. If you're new with us today, thank you so much for joining us for worship. We don't want to take that for granted, we're just delighted that you chose to walk through some unknown doors. You might know a few people in here. That's probably why you've come, because you've known someone here and they have invited you. Uh, but we're just glad you're here with us worshiping today. If you would just let us know that you're here, you can go to fbcsa.org connect. You can even do it on your phone right now. I, I won't yell at you or judge you for being on a device, at least for the next 30 seconds. Um, so do that now. Um, we have been in the parables of Luke, and last week we were with those beloved parables about the lost sheep and the lost coin. And if you remember, Jesus was engaging with these religious leaders, these experts of the law who were pretty bent out of shape that he had been hanging out with sinful people, right? What kind of rabbi righteous person would hang out with people like that. And so they were pretty upset and Jesus used these parables uh, to try to, to shake them up and bring them back closer to the heart of God and that culture of heaven that we talked about last week. And last week, Jesus reminded them that the culture of heaven, God's heart is bent towards seeking the lost and when they are found rejoicing in their repentance. The culture of heaven is, is a far cry from where you are right now that keeps those people at arm's length. He says, no, the Father, of course we know this now, the Father sent the Son because the culture of heaven is to seek that which is lost and to rejoice when they are found. But also in this next parable that is right next to the lost coin, the prodigal son, we all know this so well, Jesus takes the opportunity to really point out and draw their attention hopefully to the heart of the issue. 
And the heart of the issue for Jesus is that these religious leaders, these Pharisees had forgotten what it really means to be a son or daughter. They had completely forgotten about their own identity as children of God. In fact, he's kind of saying to them, I I want you to see that you have it all wrong, that you don't know what it means to be in this relationship with God that God has chosen for you. you. You don't understand what it means to be a son. And so hopefully this final story and this grouping of parables, Jesus is going to nudge at least one or two of them and and remind them of what it means to be a son of the living God. And so that's where we're headed today. So let me just remind you of the story of the prodigal and then we're gonna read verses 25 through 32 together. We know this story really well. Even if you haven't grown up in church hearing Bible stories, odds are you know a part of the story. There was a father who had two sons and the younger son who was ready to leave the father's house and go out on his own way and do his own thing, went to his dad and said, listen, I want my inheritance that is due to me right now. The father finally relinquishes, relents and says, here, take your inheritance. This younger son, he goes to a distant land and squanders every single dime of that inheritance. He just lives it up, parties it up. He doesn't invest it. He, he just squanders every bit of the inheritance. And the moment that he loses it all, there also is a famine in the land. And so you can imagine he has no money and he is deeply hungry. He's gotta make ends meet, so he goes and finds the only job that he can and he takes a job for a pig farmer. And so he's working for this farmer and he's looking at the slop that the pigs are eating and thinking, gosh, I might just have to eat that to make ends meet, just to survive. And it's in that moment when he's with the pigs, the Bible says that he comes to his senses and he realizes that if I were back at my father's house, if I were just a servant of my father, then I would have everything that I would need. So he decides to leave this job at the pig farmer, he's desperate. He says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and make my way home. And he's, he's rehearsing all the way home this speech that he's gonna give his dad. Uh, dad, I have sinned against you and I have sinned against God. I know I'm not worthy to be your son, but will you, can I just be your servant? And of course, as he gets close to home, y'all know the story. The father sees him far off. You know, sometimes we envision he's on this huge plantation, there's no one around, but it's more likely that he's actually walking through known places and homes and families that knew this son as he was walking back. They probably had all kinds of speculation as to the reaction of the dad, but what happens, in fact, is when the dad sees him, he runs after him before he even gets to the house, throws his arms around him. He's overjoyed that his son has been found. And the son does the speech, and it's like the dad doesn't even listen. He says to a servant, he says, I want you to go right now, get the finest robe, my ring, and kill the fattened calf, because today we're going to celebrate the return of my son. And so they begin to celebrate. And the so older son gets word. Let's stand together, and we're going to read those verses of the son's response to the younger son. 
beginning in verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. But his father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Father, once again, we ask for your help. Uh, We need your spirit to help us see and to hear. Remind us today of what it means to be your child. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So the older son was angry. He was livid after getting word from one of the servants that the younger son had returned and the father had given him the best in celebration of his return. He was angry, so angry in fact that he wouldn't even go into the banquet hall where they were celebrating. And it's in this frustration that we see in the son and his anger that gives him away as to what he was really thinking about himself and his relationship to his father. We see that in verses 28 and 29. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you had told me to do. The older son was experiencing a major case of forgotten identity. A major case of forgotten identity. Uh, The older son, in his description of how he'd been living on his father's land, was more akin to a servant or a slave than to a son. I mean, he said, listen, I have slaved for you all these years. I've done everything that you have asked me to do. He was living like a servant, not a son. He was attempting to do everything he could to do good enough in order to get the attention of his employer, not his father. Jesus would say to this son, or the father would say to this son, you belong like a son to a father, not like a servant belonging to their employer. Huge identity crisis for this older son. I have another picture of my dad. There he is, just as 
I can't remember how many years ago this was, but I think this was at Emma's birthday party. It had to be because it had mustaches and stuff. She was really into that at one point. But, um, you know, uh, this goes without saying, I I don't work for my dad, right? The kind of relationship I have with my dad is a father-son relationship, and there's no mistaking that, right? There's no mistaking that. I I share biology with my dad. I'm taller than him, but you probably can see there are some similarities. Even the way I I talk and tell jokes and uh, my humor is a lot like my dad. I share biology. Um, I also share a name with my dad. Uh, That's that's Danny M. Panter Sr., and I'm Danny M. Panter Jr. But there's also a chosenness to this relationship. Uh, My dad is not just my dad because of biology and because a name I share with him, but my dad has chosen to love me and protect me with the affection and provision that a father can provide. That's the kind of relationship that I have with my dad. And never once did I obey my dad or do what my dad said because I thought that I was his employee. That never even crossed my mind. I sought to obey and do what my dad asked because of affection and a deep respect for who my dad is, right? And somewhere along the way, this older son had set down his identity as a son and picked up this identity as a servant and a slave where he was just trying to add to his resume to get things done, to do what his father says, much like a servant would to an employer, to get the attention of his employer, to get the approval of his employer. But the reality is, I never had to seek the approval of my dad because I'm his son. I didn't have to fight for it, beg for it. My dad was ready to give it. It wasn't based upon how, no, it doesn't mean that my dad wasn't disappointed with me sometimes, but there was never a doubt in my identity as a son of my dad's longing and affection and approval of me. And somewhere along the way, this older son had forgotten that. I've slaved for you. I did everything that you said for me to do. Jesus would remind the older son your son, not a servant. So it was a question of identity, and Jesus reminded them of their identity. You know, Paul would write uh, in Romans chapter eight, verses 15 and 16, and let me just paraphrase. He would say, can I just tell you that if you're living by the spirit of God, you're no longer slaves to sin, but you are children of God. Um, Let me just read that. This is verses 15 and 16. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. That's what this son was. I'm a fearful slave. Instead, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, Verse 16, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. This side of the gospel, this side of the life of Jesus that we know that when we put our faith and trust 
in Jesus, the Son of God, that the Spirit of God does a, a spiritual DNA rewiring. And there's a chosenness of God's fatherhood in that spiritual DNA rewiring where his spirit identifies with our spirit that we are no longer slaves, but we are children of God. That is our identity in Jesus. And we're not seeking God's approval by picking up our own bootstraps and adding to our resume and doing a list of good deeds because one, it's not enough. But Jesus says, you don't have to do that. You don't have to because of my righteousness. You are approved by my father as his son or daughter. We are children of God. The Father says to all of us, if we are in Christ, if, if you've put your faith in Jesus, coming to him through belief and repentance and are resting in the righteousness of God through his work in the resurrection, and that his crucifixion and resurrection, you can be certain that the Father says to all of us, behold my son or daughter of whom I am well pleased. Older son had forgotten that. Look at me, Dad. Look at all I've done. I've done all this for you. And the Father says, you're not a servant. You're a son. So Jesus wants to remind them about their identity. He also wants to remind them about their inheritance. So again, the older son was livid because the younger son had received the very best that the father had to give, but he had done nothing to deserve it. In fact, he had squandered everything that the father had given him. I mean, he had done some horrible things. That's, that's what the, the older son do, says. He says, I can't believe it. You would give it to him even though he's lived the way that he's lived. How, how could you do that to him when I have lived such a loyal and obedient life to you? You've given to the son and he doesn't deserve one ounce of it. But the father will remind the son that the son didn't receive the best that the father had to give on the count of his deeds, did he? That's not the father's response. That's not the reason why the father gave him the robe and the ring and the banquet, the fattened calf. What does he say as to the reasons why? In verse 31, it says, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. This is important to remember. When the father celebrates the son, he's not rejoicing or endorsing the deeds or the former deeds of the younger son. That's not what's going on here. The father's not saying, I give full approval of what you did in the distant land. Matter of factly, the, the father says, the reason that we're celebrating is because my son was lost and now he's found. He was, he's dead, but now he's alive. Of course, the older son wouldn't hear it. He was like, how could you give to him? But the other part of the father's reply is profound. He says, listen, I know that you've been with me this whole time. I'm grateful for that. And you need to know that all that I have has always been yours. All that I have has always been yours. 
The older son was so preoccupied with comparing himself to others that he neglected to receive what was already his. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. They were so caught up in comparing their self-righteousness to the unrighteousness of others that they neglected to receive the inheritance that there was already theirs. And the expectation was that the father would give because he owes me rather than the father gives out of his grace and mercy to those who are his children. Romans chapter eight, verse 17, and then verse 32. This is what Paul says about our inheritance. Listen to this. And since we are his children, we are heirs. In fact, together with Christ, together with Jesus, we are heirs of God's glory. Just think about that for a moment. Paul isn't saying, uh, you're, just, you're just an inheritance of a little bit of what God has. Uh, you're just, your inheritance is this, this big, this size. No, he says, I want you to know that you share an inheritance with the very son of God, that you share in the inheritance of God's glory. That's crazy. Knowing from what we have come from, that we have become children of God, sons and daughters of the living God, that our identity has been rewired and changed and that we now share in the very same inheritance that Jesus the Son has. What does that mean for us in practical terms? Just quickly, we can't stay here long, but let me just mention it. Um, when Paul talks about inheritance, there's part of that we taste now, right? We taste the beauty and righteousness of God becomes our own. Second Corinthians 5, 21, that we become the very righteousness of God. We taste a portion of that. We taste even some of the blessings of God. But when, when Paul talks about the inheritance that we receive, the glory of God that we are to receive, he's talking about what is to come. In fact, he'll say one day when Christ returns, we will, we will receive the full rights as sons. We only taste a part of it now, but we'll taste the full rights of sons and that we will be given a brand new body what we have been promised. Glory. As children of God, we have an inheritance. And of course, the Pharisees, this is, this, this, this truth of the gospel, they, they weren't able to grab hold to now, but it was no less significant that Jesus wanted to remind them, can I remind you that, that you are not a servant, you're a son, and the son, as a son, you are entitled everything that the father has. It's yours. You didn't have to work for it. You didn't have to show yourself approved for, like, yes, dad, please, I'm trying to work myself up to here so I can get what you have for me. No, the father says, everything I had has been yours the whole time. All you had to do is ask. Is it any wonder that the brother of Jesus says, the reason you had is because you don't have is because you don't ask. And when you ask, you ask with all the wrong motives. Jesus is saying, listen, you are children of God. Don't forget that. You are sons and daughters and your inheritance is the very glory of God. All that he has is yours. 
The last thing that Jesus, I think, is trying to bring to their attention is the relationship that the father has with the son. One more word on inheritance. Um, can we put my picture back up with my dad? Okay. Um, my, my dad's not a wealthy person by any means. Um, but I, I know this to be true because I've experienced it throughout my life uh, that of all that my father has is mine. Uh, in small ways, in big ways. Um, recently, actually in the past several months, actually I can't remember when it was, it was in the last year, um, the last time I was at their house in Mississippi before they went back to Kenya, um, we were going through their garage uh, and helping them sort some things out and my dad had more than one hammer. Um, and I asked my dad, can I have, can I have the hammer? What do you imagine he said? Yeah, take my hammer. And you know, I didn't hesitate to ask my dad for the hammer. I had pretty, I had pretty uh, significant confidence that my dad would give me his hammer. And he did. Um, also, uh, this is, this is a, a book of poetry written by my dad. It's actually published. You can, you can buy this on Amazon. <laughs> um, but we had a copy of it before it ever before it ever was put on Amazon. And uh, it says, this is actually written to my daughters. It says, Anna Addison, as a gift. Um, and it says a few other things. But you wanna, you wanna know um, why my dad gave this to my daughters? Because I'm his son. Jesus wanted to remind these Pharisees who had put all these unrighteous ones at arm's length, who had measured themselves by their own self-righteousness, who had fought for the attention of God by doing their own work, were jealous of the unrighteous who were getting Jesus' attention. Jesus would say, can I remind you that all that the Father has is yours. All that the Father has is Yours, full rights as sons. But lastly, that Jesus um, wants to remind them of in this relationship between father son is exactly that the kind of relationship that exists with the father and son. Romans 8 15 B, I've already read it. Um, uh, Paul writes that when we become children of God, that we can approach the father as Abba or Dad that we have full access to the Father, unhindered without fear because of what Christ has done on our behalf. Hebrews will say that too in chapter four, but that's what Paul is getting at, is that we have the kind of dynamic relationship with God as our Father that we can come to him and call out to him, Dad. That's what Jesus wants to remind them here as well, he wants to remind them in Romans eight thirty one. I, I I love this verse where uh, Paul writes, "Can I tell you that God is for you and not against you? 
That's the kind of relationship that we have with the Father who has redeemed us through his son Jesus. He says, can I tell you that as your Father, I'm for you, not against you. And we, we get this picture in this story as well in Luke 15, 28. The same way that the father rushes out to greet the younger son upon his return, the same way he rushes out to greet his older son as he's angry, unwilling to enter the banquet hall. The father doesn't stay inside and peering out at his son. He doesn't wait for his son to get his act together. No, but because of his son, because of his relationship with his son, he goes to his son just the same way he went to his younger son and he pleaded with him. Will you come inside? Will you join the celebration? Will you celebrate with me the return of your younger brother? Will you lay down these complaints that you have and see that you are my son and we should celebrate your brother's return. The father came after the son. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of the kind of relationship that the father was beckoning the son to return to. In thinking about my own dad, and as I said during the children's sermon, or at least tried to, uh, is that uh, I know in my relationship with my dad, I have full access as much as possible. I mean, I, he's actually in Kenya right now. They just arrived back in Kenya um, within the past few hours. Uh, but I know that I have full access to my dad. I know that, that if I needed my dad, I could pick up the phone, and if he was able he would meet that need. I know that my dad would move heaven and earth if he could to help me, protect me, whatever the need was that I had. In fact, I know that my dad would give to me everything that he could give. I just know that because I have full, unhindered access. And I also know that in this relationship with my dad, that my dad loves to do those things, that his heart is bent towards me, that he looks forward to talking to me. And sometimes I can take that for granted, but I am confident about the kind of relationship that my dad has with me. Confident of that, that he is one of my greatest advocates, that he's proud of me, I know those things to be true. And Jesus is trying to remind these Pharisees, these religious elite, that they share in that same kind of father-son relationship. Do you remember, he would say? Do you understand that when God chose your people so long ago, he chose you as sons and daughters. Not because you could do something really well or you were particularly righteous. No, that's not why I chose you, but I have chosen for you to be my children and I am your father. And I am for you and I am not against you and I will raise you and I will discipline you and I will help you and I will love you. They needed to be reminded of who they were, of their inheritance and their relationship that they had with God. That's what Jesus wanted them to get. 
in a new, fresh, and dynamic way. Um, my question for you is, do you know what it means to be a son or a daughter? Do you know what it means to be a son and daughter of the living God? Is your identity in God settled as a son or daughter? Or, or maybe in some ways, maybe not to the same degree, but like the Pharisees, you're like, I can, I, I can get God's attention if I do this, if I do this. Or maybe you're thinking, gosh, God doesn't approve of me at all because of the kind of things I have been doing. He does not want me to even be close to him. If you are a father, a follower of Jesus, can I remind you that you are a child of God? And God is eager for your return to understanding that identity that you have in him. Do you, um, maybe you're wrestling with what the son is, the older son was wrestling with. Gosh, I feel like I've done everything right and I'm not getting the things that I deserve. When other people who have done far less than me and don't deserve it are getting things that I wouldn't foresee them receiving. Can I remind you today that all that the Father has is yours? We have his righteousness. We will have the fullness of his glory. And we have his promises and we have freedom to be children of God. Will you know that in a new way? Today, in a fresh and new way, do you need to be reminded that you are a child of God? There might be a few of you in this room who have no idea what that means, but the invitation is clear. Uh, Jesus says, I, just come to me, come to me. Uh, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. I will make you sons and daughters of God. Will you Will you see me for who I am? Will you know your sin and need for repentance? Will you put your faith in me? And the promise is that when you put your faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of sin, that you become a child of God too. Will you do that today? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for um, your word. Thank you for this story that Jesus told so long ago of the Father's heart to seek and find the lost and the Father's heart to beckon all of us into a keen awareness of who we are in your son, Jesus, that we are sons and daughters. Remind us of what it means to be a son, to be a child once again. Lord, bless our time of response. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.